0: Usually you have a timeline, you know, like two weeks or 30 days. And then at that point you would find a buyer and you know, that's a whole nother discussion, right? But easy (laughs) way to find buyers to just go network at like a local real estate club. Welcome back to young smart money. My name is
1: Apple Kreider and I'm your host. So today we're talking with somebody who is the classic rags to riches story. Okay. This guy, his name is Chris Gomez. He goes by Chris the shark online. And Chris has come from nothing to build an entire real estate empire that he now manages and is able to grow very quickly. He's expanding across the entire country at this very moment. So I'm really excited for this episode. So for those of you guys that aren't familiar, Chris basically started out, he had to drop out of school in ninth grade to support his family who was living in abandoned buildings. They had no place to stay. It was a really rough time growing up for Chris, but that exposed him to the hardships, the financial hardships that you can face in the real world. That showed him what he absolutely did not want to have to deal with and gave him the fuel to get to this place where he is running an an insanely large business, employing hundreds of people across the country. I'm so excited to talk with Chris today. He's got a ton of value bombs to drop on y'all, so definitely stay tuned, get out that pen and paper, and we are going deep into real estate and wholesaling specifically because that is where Chris really did get his start in the industry and was able to grow his wealth to a place where he now owns hundreds and hundreds of properties. Without further ado, let's get into the show with Chris Gomez. Enjoy. (music) Enjoy. All right, Chris, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today?
0: What's up, brother? I'm doing good.
1: Fantastic, fantastic, man. So could you give our listeners who aren't maybe familiar with you a brief like 30-second interview behind Chris, what you are, what you're all about?
0: Well, I'm 34. Uh, I guess you could say I'm a serial entrepreneur, owned- <laughs> companies. I uh, started off in the telemarketing industry, moved my way to real estate, and I just kind of do a little bit of everything.
1: All right. All right. I dig it. The so, elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Short, sweet, and to the point. Yeah. So uh, one of the words you brought up there is a word that I like to center in on a lot with this podcast and it's the word entrepreneur. So what is your like positive or negative? What's your like gut reaction to that word? Because I know a lot of people have very like strong reactions when they hear the word entrepreneur. So for you, is it a positive word? Cause you said you did associate with it. So I'm assuming you, you feel a little bit positive, at least about it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great thing. I mean, like growing up, I never thought of myself as like being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I didn't want to be told what to do. And I wanted to have control of my own finances and, you know, make mm. my own level. That's what drove me that direction. But definitely, definitely feel positive when I think of the word entrepreneur.
1: Okay, okay. So for you, entrepreneur is more of like the freedom side of things and the ability to make your own decisions and, and really carve your own path. That's, that's the main thing that you focus in on with it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's that. And I think it comes down to having the ability to, uh, you know, make as much money as you desire. Right. Mm. Not everybody has the same goal. Some people want to make more. Some people want to make less. I like the idea of knowing that no one's controlling how much I make. I'm not capped. You know yeah. I
1: mean? You're not capped to that 5% like standard of living wage <laughs> <No>. <laughs> every, every couple of years so yeah totally totally with you on that man can you talk a little bit about your come up because it's not super traditional the way you got started and got into the space like you mentioned started with telemarketing but can you talk a little bit about your childhood and and where you sort of got your first entrepreneurial like inclinations
0: yeah absolutely um so i grew up in ontario in a rough part of town in in southern california um i dropped out of high school in ninth grade Grew up real, real poor. Same story you hear, right? You know, from rags to riches, right? Yeah. Um, we were homeless most of my childhood. Wow. We bounced from motel to motel to motel all the time. Um, and to be honest with you, the reason I dropped out of school was because we were struggling so bad. I knew I needed to get a job. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get out of school. I'm going to go get a job and I'm going to try to, you know, help the family out, right? So first job I ever got was working in a warehouse it lasted for like a week before the guy fired me.
1: (laughs) Oh man, what for?
0: You know, I don't know. I just think, I don't think he needed me at the time. And I was young. Mm -hmm. It was under the table. I was like 15, right? Yeah. But a few weeks later I had turned 16 and I got a job telemarketing, basically selling tools and supplies over the phone. Hmm. At the time it was minimum wage, which was like five bucks an hour. Jeez. And after three weeks he went strictly commission, right? So Mm -hmm to me, I didn't care. I just needed a job, right? I didn't, I didn't know it was a sales job. I didn't know how it worked or anything. And once I started doing it, I just kind of had a knack for it. I was just naturally, I guess you would say naturally comfortable with talking to people on the phone. Yeah. And um, I started making a little bit of money. You know, a lot of people, like a lot of my relatives told me, man, you need to get back in school. You need to get a real job with benefits and 401k and blah, blah, blah. Right. But I ended up being really good at selling people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it's kind of how it started. I mean, from there, I did that. Like, I mean, that was my first and last job when I was 21. I opened my company. And wow. I struggled with that for years and years, you know, but once I finally figured it out, I figured it out. And it just kind of blew up from there. I'm 34 now. So
1: that's wild, man. That is that's a very Yeah, exactly. Rags to riches story. So can can you talk a little bit about, so, so between the time that you started telemarketing and the time that you started your own business, what did that really look like? And how were you able to develop those sales skills? Did you have any like mentors in your life? Was it really just trial and error or what do you think allowed you to be so successful in that environment?
0: I think to be specific, like in the telemarketing industry, I think sure. for me, it was just, I had a lot of drive, right? Because I was really poor, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, not only were we really poor, so like there was like a a, a need to make money, but yeah. I also wanted nice things, you know, and I knew that, I, that there was no way I was going to get them, right, I remember like having a poster of a Lamborghini and thinking like, man, I want one of those one day, and then when I would talk to friends and stuff, it's like, it's not even possible, you know mm. what I mean, and the thing that I liked about the telemarketing job was it was a commission job, there was a couple guys there at the time that were making pretty good money, and to me, I thought they were like super rich, right, yeah. I just thought, hey, if these guys could do it, I could do it, you know, and it doesn't matter if I have an education, doesn't matter if I went to college, this is like my one shot to make money. So hmm. I took it really serious. Um, you know, And mind you, this was back when like, you couldn't just like hop on YouTube and like learn everything you need. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned the hard way, man. I mean, from from age 16 to 21, it was just trial and error, trial and error, you know, and I slowly started making more and more and more money. But I realized when I was like in my uh, early 20s that I kind of had like a natural ability to Train people and lead people because you know, mm-hmm. to sell people's one thing, but to train and manage people is another, right? 100%. Yeah, you gotta have good people skills for that. And I knew that was a strong point. And I also knew that if I could teach other people how to sell, I wouldn't have to be selling stuff all day long, right? Hmm, <laughs> but, yep, so uh, that's why I started the company. And then it was like the second part of the journey from there, which was like, you know, I knew how to sell, I knew how to train people, but then it was all about managing money and credit and cash flow and all, yeah, this and that was a whole nother, you know damn near 10 year journey of ups and downs, of trial and error before I finally figured it out. Right. But then once I got it figured out, I got to figured it out. And now from, you know, where I'm at in my life today, I own multiple companies between them all. I manage over a couple hundred people. Wow. Uh, I'm a busy guy all the time. Right. I was like yeah. rushing to do this podcast. Right. But I'm excited about it. It's great. You know,
1: that's awesome. That's awesome, man. And yeah, it definitely, you've come a long way from that telemarketing job to where you're at now. Can you give our listeners a brief idea of what those couple businesses are that you mentioned that you're employing a couple hundred people?
0: Yeah, so uh, right now I still, I'm still i still in the telemarketing space, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's actually me and two other guys. We're like all three owners. That company sells industrial tools and shop supplies nationwide. And basically what I do at the company now is I still – oversee and manage all the trainers and top producing salesmen. So I'm wow, still in, wow. in that grind day to day. It's my passion. It's what I love to do. My family works there. Uh, my bro- my little brother works there with me. My dad works there. So it's, it's a great thing. Um, also I own a wholesale real estate company. Mm-hmm. So What we do is we buy properties wholesale and we flip them. Um, I also do rehabs where I buy properties and renovate them and then sell them on the MLS the traditional way. Um, I also have a rental property business. So we we own some rental properties and some apartments, which kind of is like its own little business in itself, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's separate from the house flipping. Um, And then I have a consulting business too that I run basically through Instagram, you know, which is like consulting specifically for how to get into real estate. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of people reach out to me and they want to learn how to flip houses. They want to learn how to wholesale Um, the people that I work with are not usually new people that are trying to get in the business. I work more with people that are already flipping houses, but they want to learn how to systemize it and grow it into a a seven figure business rather Mm -hmm. than, right. So that's been going really well too. Um, and actually I'm about to be part owner of a barber shop here in about a week. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That was just totally random, but my barber's been my friend my whole life and he wanted to open up this thing. So I said, Hey, you know, I'll put up the money, but you got to do all the work and we'll see how that goes.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's really, that's a really cool yeah. relationship to build. So uh clearly a lot of the stuff that you're doing is in real estate. And that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because uh, myself included, a lot of young people are interested in really what goes into real estate and getting involved in the real estate space. It's a very lucrative opportunity, especially right now. So uh, can you break down just a little bit about kind of the different, cause you mentioned a lot of different kinds of, of real estate, both investing and, and, um, Wholesaling and stuff like that. So, can you can you break down uh, some of those different avenues that people can take when they want to get involved in real estate? And, and yeah, just give a little a little intro to each of those.
0: Break them down as in like what's the difference?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like like what's the difference between like wholesaling and flipping and rental properties? Just like a little bit.
0: Yeah, great. So, wholesaling is what everybody's interested in, right? Because basically, what wholesaling is is it's negotiating a great deal on a piece of property locking that property up by putting it in contract. In other words, like, you know, I have a contract to buy your property and then you assign that contract to a buyer. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of acting like a middleman in the transaction. Um, Wholesaling is what you see all over the radio saying, you know, uh, learn how to flip houses with no money, no credit, because technically you don't need money or credit to do it. Right. Technically. (laughs) Technically. Uh, So that's wholesaling and then rehabbing or fix and flipping is basically when you buy a distressed property, usually you buy it from a wholesaler and then you renovate the property and then sell it retail. Uh, Retail meaning like, you know, you hire an agent, they put it on the MLS, you know, you take the property, do all the renovations and construction, make it beautiful, try to get every last dollar out of it. And then, you know, buying rental properties is just exactly what it sounds like. You're buying properties strictly for the purpose of generating monthly cash flow in rents.
1: Okay, perfect. So why did you decide to get involved in all these different spaces? Like, why not just focus on wholesaling or just focus on like flipping houses? Why did you decide to like spread yourself on all these different, these different verticals?
0: Man, yeah, that's a good question. And I'll tell you the exact answer because I remember it like it was yesterday. So I was making pretty good money in the tool business, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I already owned my own home and I was, I had money in the market and I had a friend kind of like a mentor and actually actually really is a a great mentor of mine in the tool business, almost like a second dad to me, to be honest with you. He was buying a lot of rental properties. This guy's really, really rich. So he was just buying properties (laughs) cash and That was that, right? Well, I wanted to get in the game, you know, because I didn't like putting a lot of money in the stock market because it's very volatile and I don't know a lot about it, Mm -hmm. but I do. I liked real estate because it's like, you know, I can drive by my houses and look at them. Right. So yeah,
1: they're actually there.
0: Yeah. So to answer your question, I, I started buying rental properties and um, when I bought my first couple, I had to put like 50, 60, $70,000 down every yeah. time. And I started realizing like, man, I'm gonna have to make a lot of money to keep putting down, <laughs> 50, you know, cause you don't make a lot of money on one rental property. You need a bunch of them, right? No.
1: Yeah. It takes time.
0: So I had an idea where I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to learn how to flip houses. And at the time my thought was I'll flip a couple houses to make extra money to buy the rentals with. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea about what wholesaling was. Um, I was just thinking about buying them and actually doing the rehabs. So I started Googling around, trying to like just, you know, learn some information before I dove in. Yeah. Cause I'm the guy, like, when I get a deal, I'm just like, boom, I go all in. Right? Yep. And uh, I was like, you know what? I better start reading about this before I just start spending money on shit I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I tripped across wholesaling. I tripped across it on just by Googling. And uh, then I started watching videos on YouTube and I started seeing there's a lot of guys doing this. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that, I couldn't find like one person online that was doing it in California. When you start looking at it on YouTube and stuff, it's always people like in Alabama or North Carolina or places like that where houses are really cheap. And out here where I live in Riverside, um, like an average house is like four or $500,000. Right. Wow. Well I, for a while I thought it wasn't possible, but once I started like just digging in, I just made the decision to just go for it. And I started it worked, right? I started doing it. I started flipping houses. And even at the time, I wasn't planning on turning it into an actual business. I just thought, hey, you know, I'm just going to do this to buy a couple rentals. But once, you know, I think it was because of my business background in, in uh, telemarketing and mm-hmm. management, I, I instantly figured out that, hey, you know what, I could build a system around this and hire a couple people to do this for me all day long. And now here we are, to, you know, it's only been a couple years. Uh, we're projecting three million this year just in wholesale flips.
1: Wow. That's massive. That's massive.
0: It's a lot of wholesale deals to do that. I mean, there's guys that do that. That's nothing to shake a stick at. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: What's like the average? What's like the average you bring in on a wholesale deal? Like just just to give us some context here.
0: You know, average would be in the high twenty thousand dollar range.
1: Okay. Twenty
0: seven, twenty eight thousand dollars. It's weird, you know, because every month there's always that deal that's five or ten grand, but there's also always that one that's fifty or sixty. But yeah. um, It's probably, I would say like 27, 28,000. I think the last time I actually like ran our numbers, it was closer to 30, but it changes all the time. You know, if I run them this month for the average, it'll be different than last month on an annual basis, close to 30,000 a deal. And that's in this market. Now, you know, in California, I'm also houses in Florida now and out there I'm noticing that um, the deals, they're not a lot smaller, but they're more like in the 15 to 20,000 range for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, my plan is to be in like five or six markets by the end of the year.
1: Wow. Moving fast, moving fast. I love it. So could you give our listeners, so you mentioned briefly what wholesaling actually entails with you basically finding the deal and then you finding a buyer for the deal. But can we dive a little bit deeper for our, our people, our listeners who might be interested in, in learning a bit more about this process? Like what are some of the first steps? How do you find these deals? Like, cause you have to have some kind of in because if everybody could find these deals, then there'd be no room for a wholesaler, right? So, so how do you get started in this space?
0: So, to, I mean, to answer that question, it, it really comes down to, the individual who wants to get started, right. It comes down to number one, do they have money to get started? And number two, how much money do they have to get started? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause some people literally have, you know, a tight budget or no budget at all. And there's still ways to get in the game. We could talk about that, but for the people that do have, uh, you know, some type of startup capital, they're going to take a different route than the guy that has no money. Right. So okay. most of the, um, most of the people that try to get into wholesaling are usually, you know, Younger generation, they hear about it on the radio. They think they can do it with no money and no credit, so they just want to dive right. So there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, it's a little bit harder of a path to get started that way. But one way you can do it is, you know, they call it driving for dollars. I've never done this, but I know a lot of people that do. Driving for dollars basically means you drive around. You're looking for houses that look like they're in distress, you know, Um, abandoned houses, houses with overgrown weeds, you know, houses that look dilapidated, right? And then what you would do is you would you know, gather up as many of those as possible and you would skip trace them and find out who the owners of those properties are. And you would try to skip trace to get their phone number and just make a cold call and say, Hey, I noticed your house is over here falling apart. Do you want?" <laughs> to right? um, Or you could send them mail, uh, mail send them a letter. That's right. one thing. And that's probably the most, um, the most cost effective way of getting in the business. Cause it's free to drive around just gas money. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you can do uh, that a lot of new people do and this is usually what I recommend if someone's on like a, a tighter budget is to just go on listsource.com, um, and buy data, right. Which, you know, we could have a whole hour long discussion just about. <laughs> that. to keep it simple. You would go to source, you would buy a list of property owners that fit the criteria you're looking for. And then once you have that list, you would send it off to get skip traced. You get the phone numbers. And then once again, you start making cold calls. And you'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of landlords that have rental properties, um, you know, they get to the point in their life where they're like, ah, I want to sell these, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're just too lazy to do it. And then when someone reaches out and says, hey, I noticed you got this property here. I'm just wondering if you want a cash offer. A lot of people are like, yeah, I do want a cash offer. What are you offering? And then the negotiation starts. And at that point, it's all about negotiating the deal cheap enough to where you can lock it up and then sell it to somebody else and be able to just stay in the middle of the transaction.
1: Mm. So you mentioned skip tracing. Can you break that down really quick for our listeners that might not know what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, so skip tracing is basically like, you know there's companies that do it but the company i use is called need to skip but there's a few other ones out there um and what you would do is you would take your data you would send it to them and the data that you that you buy from ListSource is basically just property addresses mm-hmm. along with um the owners names right but there's no phone numbers so when you skip trace it's kind of like um it's kind of like digging up a bunch of information on the property owner. So a lot of times what you'll end up with is their email addresses and their phone numbers. Mm -hmm. And those are the two things you need to reach out to them. Cause if you don't have the email address or the phone number about all you can do is send mail to the home address, Mm -hmm. which that's very effective too. We send out a ton of mail every month still to this day. We kind of hit it from all angles. You know, we do cold calling and we advertise online and we send mail, but yeah, to answer your question, that's what skip tracing is. It's uh, the companies that help get the customer's information for you.
1: All right. Perfect. So once they, once they get a deal negotiating cash, then what's the next step? All right. So you you found, you found a seller, you got this deal negotiated. Now what do you do?
0: So you would have, you know, you got to take control of the property. You do that by locking, you know, locking it up with a contract. So you would send a contract, you know, a purchase and sale agreement, you know, something very standard that just says, I'm buying your property for this much money cash. Right. Mm -hmm. Once you have that contract, you now have, but we, you know, control of the property, right? No one else can buy it because you have the contract, right? Usually you have a timeline, you know, like two weeks or 30 days. And then at that point you would find a buyer and, you know, that's a whole nother discussion, right? But easy <laughs> way to find buyers to just go network at like a local real estate club. Because if you go to like a, a local real estate investors meetup, there'll be tons of buyers there. 100%. And
1: yeah,
0: they're, that's what, they're there looking for new people to have deals, you know, so yep. it's not hard to find buyers. It's hard to get deals.
1: That's fair. I've been to my fair share of meetups and there's definitely always people there trying to push their wholesaling deals
0: yeah, and you
1: can, you yeah. can tell who they are and you can tell what they got. So that,
0: can that's totally good. after that, you send it off to escrow and then you wait for a check. I mean, there's a couple more moving pieces in the middle, but nothing for you to do. Essentially it's for the escrow and the title company to deal with all that.
1: All right, solid. Yeah, I think that was a very valuable breakdown of, of wholesaling because like you said, man, a lot of people are hearing about this stuff on the radio and they're getting some kind of skewed conceptions in their head of what it really, what it really looks like. So can you, can you also break down a couple of mistakes that uh, newbies might make in this space? People who haven't maybe wholesaled before, they're doing their first one, they're trying to get their feet wet. What are some of like, the pitfalls they might run into or, or some of the mistakes that they might make?
0: Um, one major mistake would be putting a property under contract that's not actually a good deal. Mm. Right. That's probably the number one mistake that new people make. So a lot of times it, the mistakes made because they don't analyze what the property's worth properly in the first place. Right. So they might negotiate a deal for 200 grand on a property that they think is worth 300 grand, but come to find out the property is only worth 240 and it's not a big discount, you know? Yeah. The discount has to be really big in order for this all to work. Right. Cause the, the people that are buying these deals are the people that are going to buy them and then renovate them and then fix them all up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would probably be the number one mistake that I see new people do is just not analyzing the property um, properly. Um, the other, another big mistake too is um, going after on market deals rather than off market deals. So mm-hmm. what happens a lot of new people, They find out that, hey, you know, I actually got to buy a list and skip trace it and cold call people. And that's a lot of work. Right. So they just say, you know, I'll just go on Zillow and look for houses that are for sale by owner and just call them all or for sale with an agent. A lot of times if there's an agent in the middle, um, they're not going to let the homeowner negotiate that low and you end up wasting a lot of time. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we've done a couple deals off the MLS, but it's not like a. I mean, it's it's difficult, right? So for a new person, I would stay away from that. You're always better off just starting off the right way, getting your data, skip tracing it, getting holding, uh, getting a hold of the owner directly. That way, there's no one in the middle middlemaning what you're trying to negotiate. You know.
1: A hundred percent. And like, if it's on a site like Zillow, then anybody can see it. So it's, again, it's, it's having that barrier to entry of, of you have to buy a list and you have to skip trace it kind of makes it, it gives you that advantage if you actually go through that process, because then you're doing stuff that not everybody is going to be willing to do. So I, I totally see, see why that's, why that's necessary. And what, what do you think are some of the best ways for a, a new person to get a feel for if a deal is actually a good deal and how much a property is actually worth? Uh, Is it really just going out there, getting your feet wet, like seeing what there is to see out there? Or are there any like good practices people should get into before they try to lock down their first deal and make a huge mistake out of it?
0: Well, you know, one good way is if you can make friends with someone who's a licensed agent. Mm. If you have a friend that's a realtor that has access to the MLS, you can say, hey what's this place worth? And they'll just run you a report real quick and give you to the T what it's worth. Right. Wow, That's the easiest way. So, and once again, it all goes back to networking, right? So if you're going to the local real estate clubs and you're like in the forums online, chatting with people, you just start building a network of people that you can, you know, ask questions. Right. So that's one way. Um, and then of course, you know, if you're brand, brand new, there's a few websites like you got Zillow.com, you got realtor.com and you got redfin.com. Those three, in my opinion, are probably the most accurate. So for a new person that doesn't have access to the NLS or any friends that are um, agents, you could always just kind of like plug in the address to those three websites. Each one will give you a, a estimated value. Usually they're right there within each other and you can kind of just average them out. But if you ever notice that you get one that's like got a big discrepancy, then that's one where you actually might want to like call a local uh, broker. It's like call a Century 21 and get an agent on the phone and say, hey, can you give me a, a, you know, evaluation of what this thing's worth? But it's just so much easier if you can make friends with someone in that space that you can just text like, hey, bro, what's this one worth? (laughs) Mm, (laughs) I bet.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it'd be a really, really valuable thing. And like you said, there's so many places to go out there and meet people in the space from different meetups to like. Even going to like RIA's and stuff, like there's there's a lot of different opportunities for you to meet people in this space. So I think that's huge, and, and building that network is definitely a must at first. So uh, tying in to to some of the mistakes, can you also hit on some of the biggest myths that people come across? You mentioned that myth that that people talk about. Uh, Putting zero dollars down and and having no credit. And it sounds like that might be a plausible way to do things if you are just like driving for dollars. But are there any other myths that you see really like propagated out there that that really shouldn't be out there?
0: Mm. I mean, I don't know if there's any like myths that I could think of, but there's a lot of things that are exaggerated, right? Because like technically Mm. you don't need cash or credit to flip a house wholesale, right? But it's not as easy as it sounds. Like to have a, a, a business that runs, that's bringing in deals, it takes a lot of money in marketing. And that's the part that nobody talks about. Right. So like technically, yeah, you could go get a deal and it might take you all year of driving for dollars and looking and scrounging, and but you still might find a deal and it still might be a lot of money, but to have a, um, an actual business with a system in place that's producing deals on a monthly basis, it does take a lot of money. So that's kind of a myth, I guess. Um, I can't think of anything else that I hear a lot of, you know, it's just online. Everybody makes it sound easier than it is. Yeah. Um, and matter of fact, that's actually why um, I started my consulting business, because there's a lot of guys out there that sell courses, right? Oh yeah. And I'm not knocking them. I mean, there's, there's some guys that have some really, really good courses that are very thorough, but the thing is, is um, a lot of people that are new buy a course, they get just overwhelmed with information and then they're paralyzed and yep. then There's no one to ask questions. Right. So that's why what I do is consulting. Like I don't actually sell a course. In fact, I would say like without any exaggeration, probably eight out of 10 people that hire me for consulting are people that have already bought a course. And that happens. They come to me and they're like, dude, I bought this course. Now my, you know, I have all these things in mind. I don't have the money to, to do a PPC campaign. I don't have the money to send out 20,000 postcards a month. What am I supposed to do? And then what I do is I sit there with them and say, well, tell me what your budget is. What kind of you know, startup capital can you come up with? And then we try to tailor a plan based around their individual situation. It's kind of like a diet, right? Like yeah. you're not going to the same diet as a guy that needs to lose a hundred pounds or vice versa. Right. So that's what I tell people with real estate. It's the same thing. And that's probably, you know, it's not a myth, but that's probably the number one thing that's misrepresented online is that everybody makes it sound like, oh, no cash, no credit, just get in. It's because they're all selling courses. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? so.
1: Exactly. They just want to get you in the door, get that money from the course, and then they're done with you. But but actually being able to get that personalized plan, I can see where that would be very advantageous, especially in a place like this where there's a lot of information floating around and you don't really know which information you should be listening to. You could be getting information from two different people. That's really contradictory so it it is really important to have like at least one person that you really know you can trust and really know like knows what they're talking about it can really personalize it for you so i think that's that's really big and that sort of ties into the next the next topic that i wanted to to hit on you with you in this conversation and that is uh, the instagram side of your business so you you have a consulting agency over there and uh, you, you said that you work pretty like one-on-one with people through that. So, can you walk us through a little bit about why you started doing that? I know you said it was sort of to combat the course thing, but was there any other sort of driving factors behind starting that consulting and, and doing it on Instagram in particular?
0: So, personally, I never was real big on like social media. Period. Right. I have mm-hmm. a Facebook. I'm never on it. <laughs> I have an Instagram that didn't have many followers. It was private most of my life, but I've been a successful guy for quite some time. And I just never put myself out there cause I didn't want, you know, my friends and family to think I was cocky. Yeah. Right. That was my thing. Right. But, <laughs> um, a, a lot of people were telling me like, man, you should be like more social on Instagram. You know, you should be more public because you're young and you got a Rolls Royce and you're doing this and that. And that's what people want to see, you know? And after hearing that about a thousand times, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to, um, take my account off of private then. And so I just started growing and growing and growing just by me posting my normal life. Right. Then I ended up connecting, um, with a couple people that were in that world, you know, the social media world and one guy in particular that really helped me grow my account. And at the time, to be honest with you, when I was doing it, um, I didn't have, I wasn't planning on launching a consulting business. I just wanted my brand to be and look more credible. Right. Cause Mm. nowadays, Unfortunately, we live in a world where people look you up on Instagram or Facebook and oh, yeah. if you don't have followers you're nobody, right? And it's funny cuz you know, when I had no followers, I still had a Rolls-Royce, I still had multiple businesses. <laughs> but nobody asked me shit, right? Once I had all these followers, everybody's like, "Bro, can you teach me this? Can you teach me that? How do you do this? Yeah. How do you do that?" And then I realized right away the power of social media. So at the time when I first started like growing my Instagram and being active on there and like, you know, follow for follow and hashtagging everything and trying to build that account, Um, my plan was just to have my business look more credible, but what ended up happening was a lot of people started reaching out to me. Mm
1: -hmm. I started
0: working with a lot of other people in the real estate world all through Instagram. Uh, I started meeting new buyers, new sellers, just lenders, everything you could think of. And it just kind of snowballed. But what I realized was, I think, like, like I mentioned earlier, there's not a ton of people that are running um, wholesale real estate businesses at this level. And especially in California, there's not a lot of them. So there's kind of like a hole in the marketplace. Mm. And um, before I was even advertising for it, people were just reaching out to me saying, hey, Chris, can you give me advice on how to do deals in California? Can you give me advice on how to do this, how to do that? And in the beginning, I'd be like, yeah, and I'd help people. And I still do, like if it's a random question here and there, you know. But yeah. one day I just started saying, you know, if you want some of my time, you got to pay me because my time valuable. I didn't yeah. even have a And next thing you know, it was like people were paying me a thousand, 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 thousand. So it got to the point where even then it was still a hassle because, you know, so I run my other businesses and then I'm married and I have a kid and I'm like, you know, I can't be on my phone all freaking day. Right. So um, what happened was I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I'm going to build like just a basic landing page, like a basic website. And from now on, when anybody reaches out to me on Instagram, I'm just gonna go visit my website, and it'll have all the answers there. Because I, I what, what was happening was I'd be at home like this, like all day, because I had so many DMs, I couldn't keep up with it, right? So once I put that website in place, ChrisTheShark.com, it's on my, it's the links in my bio, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it started doing all the hard work for me. People would reach out to me, and I'd say, "Yeah, click the link in my bio." They'd click it, and then 20 minutes later, they'd text me, "Bro, I just PayPal'd you. When can we start?" And I'd be like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I, know, I got all these clients every month and I'm training kids all around the country and I'm, I got students bringing me deals. It's, it's completely blown up in my face, but it's actually been a, a very positive thing because not only am I making money and doing good, but a lot of these kids I'm working with are getting their first deal. Some of these guys are, are already doing deals and now they're systemizing their business. I'm actually buying a property from one of my students in Florida right now, which is really cool. So it's wow. like a situation, you know, and that's how that all started.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So I gotta ask about the name Chris to Shark. Uh, where where did that come from, man? Is it just like you gotta be a shark in real estate, or, or like where did oh, that come no, from?
0: This is actually another great story. You're asking me all the cool questions
1: today. <laughs> so what I'm here for.
0: Yeah. So when I got into the telemarketing world, right, um, right around the time that I was uh, in the process of quitting where I was working to start my business, I was actually a manager at a company so I was like 20 years old at the time wow and um I was at the time I was running like a 10-man crew basically that was underneath me of salesmen, right and this was when I was like getting ready to go like open the doors and do my own thing but anyways make a long story short one of the guys that was working for me he'd always go hey shark hey shark he called me shark all the time <laughs> right and I never even he was an older dude right and I never I never even thought about it but then like one day his name was Alton I go Alton I go, why do you always call me shark? And he goes, man, because you eat up all the guppies, right? And then <laughs> everybody started laughing or whatever. But it just became a thing in the office where it was like, if the shark gets on the phone, he's going to close the deal. Because they would get, if, I don't know if you've ever seen Boiler Room or any of those movies, but it's kind of like that. We were on the office jamming and they'd be waving me down, shark, shark, shark. And I'd come over there, I'd take the phone and I'd be the one that, I was the closer, right? Mm. But yeah, so it, it started off as shark. Everybody just called me shark. And then once I started getting like, um, when I opened up my company, I got contracted to a parent company that was doing the shipping and receiving and the bill pay for all my customers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this company was kind of similar to the other company that I was working for, but now I was a distributor for this company. And I came in there and we pretty much just like broke every record they have. And all my plots, said Chris, the shark, here we are. 15 years later, I'm still Chris, the shark. There and we go. Shirt. So now we actually branded, this is iron shark abrasives, right? So ah. This is one of our private labels of, a certain brand of tools so this brand covers like socket sets screwdrivers drill bits things like that and this is our brand and is named after me
1: that's wild man yeah <laughs> that's a cool story that's a really cool story
0: they just think i'd made up my own name or something but no i was given the name and it stuck and
1: dang and they- that's awesome
0: he calls me shark there's actually a lot of people to this day in the tool world that probably don't even know my name's chris
1: <laughs> <laughs> just know you're a shark wow i dig it I that's that's yeah that's wild man <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this whole time you've been talking about all these different ventures you're running and all these different projects you're working on and all the different businesses that you're, that you're involved in right now. How do, you, how do you balance all this stuff? Like, how do you figure out where your priorities should be? When, when you have time to hop on a consulting call? When you have time for a podcast like this? Like, how do you establish your balance and your priorities in your life?
0: <laughs> you know, it took me a long time to get it right. I uh, bet. I used, to, I used to wake up and work all day, every day. And then I'd get home and work some more. That's just who I was, right? And then uh, I realized that, you know, it wasn't good for my health. I started having a lot of problems with anxiety, Mm. stress, and it didn't matter how much money I made, you know, the more money I made, it didn't matter. I was just more stressed, more things to do. My wife, I'm going to give her some credit because she was the one that all along was telling me like, you need to be balanced, you know, you need to be balanced. Um, we live in a world of duality, right? You got right, left, up, down, good, bad. It can't just be all work and no play, right? Mm. You have to have that balance. So now I'm at the point where I try to be as efficient as possible with my time. And I, it's like a game to me. I try to see how much money can I make and how much things can I get done off the least amount of work, right? Mm. And I delegate a lot. There's some people say delegate to elevate. That's so true. You Mm. know, uh, by spreading the workload, it's a I mean, it really helps you diversify, you know, your time across multiple projects. I have key people and key positions that I can really count on. Um, so I think that's, that helps me stay balanced. Also, too, I meditate just about every day. Like, I get up in the morning, first thing I do is meditate. Mm. And I'm usually, like, on the treadmill or doing something, you know, because you're always trying to lose that last 10 pounds, right?
1: Yep. And I saw you walking and watching GC this morning.
0: Yeah, that's what I do. That's how I get my mind right. I get up, I meditate, I walk, I watch a, a podcast or something that's good for my brain. Um, then I get my coffee and I'm out the door, but I actually work at the office from like seven to three. So my days are short, but I'm very efficient with my time. And when I'm, when I'm at work, I'm on the grind, you know, and I try to schedule things inside my work hours. You know, when I get home, if I'm doing something, it's usually something like this, where I'm like talking to someone on Skype or whatever. Yeah. Uh, my cell phone's going crazy all the time. As you can see, it's email, 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 text, text, text. Sometimes I just straight out ignore it. You know, you just have to, because you got to stay balanced. Uh, if you want to be busy all day, you can be busy all day. If you're, oh, yeah. sure. But for me, I think it's important for my mental health and for my family's sake that I stay balanced because, you know, nobody wants to be around the guy that's just working all day long and then works himself to death, right? 100%. You hear that story all the time about so-and-so was so rich and then he died of a heart attack at 40. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? I don't want to be that guy. So I try to, I try to stay balanced mentally, physically, spiritually, and financially. Those are the things right there. If everything's in line, great things happen.
1: Mm, I love it, man. You got all your different spheres. You got to keep those things in in balance. I love it. it. Cause like so many people it's like, will just tell you like, you got to grind, 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 and then grind some more. And in reality, like there's at least to me, there's so much more to it than, than just, putting your hand to the grindstone and like, keep going and going. Like you gotta, you gotta find out what makes a life successful for you and what you want your legacy to be. And if that is just like you were the person that worked 20 hour days, seven days a week, that's great. But like for most people, that's not going to be what's going to make them feel most fulfilled. So I think it's really important to cover on that.
0: I think all great, um, entrepreneurs have it in them to where when the going gets tough, the tough can get going. And sometimes, yeah, there's been times where I've worked all day, every day. Right. Yeah. But to be able to turn that off and say, hey, unless it's an emergency, I'm going to take my weekend off. I'm going to stay balanced because I got to keep my mind sharp so I can, you know, stay really laser focused. I think it's important to take the right amount of time off. It's like I was saying, everything has to be balanced. You know, it can't just be all work and no play. It can't be all play and no work.
1: You yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. You got to find that happy middle. I dig it. All right, Chris, I want to hop into some of the questions that i like to ask all of my guests. Are you ready for it? I'm ready, man. All right, let's do it. The first of which, and I really do enjoy this question and hearing what people have to say about this, is what are you excited about right now? So this can be something in your business, in your personal life, in the wider sphere of the world, but like, what's something that, that you're genuinely excited about?
0: I'm excited that my wife and I committed to traveling more this year. Mm. Uh, we go to Miami every year and we've, you know we've been all over Mexico, but this year we were like, sometime we're going to dubai Ooh. we're going go to a couple places we've never been to and uh, just spend some quality time together i'm very excited about that
1: what made you want to commit to that
0: um well i mean i'm kind of a creature of habit right so like mm-hmm. like i was saying we go to miami we go to vegas we go to mexico we, that's where we always go those three places and those three places are great you know we've been to a few other places too you know but we have such a good time on vacation and you know like i said it can't be all work and no play so yeah. this year we just said hey you know we've been wanting to go to Dubai. Let's just plan it. Let's go to Dubai. You know, we want to go to Italy. Let's just plan it. Let's go to Italy. Let's see the world a little bit. And, uh, you know, just do something that we don't normally do. So I'm excited about that.
1: I dig it. I dig it. Cause yeah, like you said, man, you never know, you never know if tomorrow's going to come around. So you got to get it in while you can. What are some of the habits that have served you most in your life? These can be business or personal, but like, what are some of the habits, routines, rituals that have really taken you to the next level?
0: I think it's always having positive self-talk. What I mean by that is like, you know how you talk to yourself in your head? Like oh, yeah. when you have something going on, like I find myself talking to myself, always saying things like, come on, Chris, you got this, you know, or you're the fucking man. You don't need no help. Just get it yeah. done. And But I positive self-talk myself rather than saying negative things to myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I actually like made a conscious decision to do because when I was younger, like I told you, I grew up in, you know, different circumstance than I'm in now, right? And it was always the opposite. It was always like, oh, you know, you're never going to be rich, or you, you can't have a Lambo because of this or that, or you can't, it was always a reason why I couldn't do something. Yeah. And then one day, I was just like, nah, fuck that, you know? i <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on this show or not, whatever, but- It's too
1: late, man. We're going for it.
0: Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> no, like, I'm going to do it, you know? And so to this day, it's just a, a very good habit that I have. And it's funny because nobody knows but me because it's in my head. I'm not saying these things out loud, but I'm always positive self-talking. Like, you got this. You're going to crush it. I, I'll be I'll be thinking to myself, oh, I'm tired. And then in my mind, I'm like, no, you're not. Get up. Come on. let's go. It's go time. You know, so-and-so <laughs> wouldn't be tired. This guy <laughs> wouldn't be tired. You know, the competition's not tired. And I just keep myself fired up like that.
1: Mm, I love it. I love it. I've been really getting into like positive affirmations and really just like enforcing like that I can and I am physically capable of doing different things because like if it if it if, it, if you truly do believe it like that's really gonna manifest and I, I truly yeah, do yeah. believe like if you are taking action and you believe that you are able to get to the next level it's it's gonna happen so that's that's been really helpful for me in my life as well recently. Um,
0: like a, I'm not sure who said it, but there's like some famous quote, it might've been Henry Ford or something, but it's like, if you believe you can, or you believe you can't, yep. you're right. Yep. And it's, it's so true. You know, um, I really believe that. Like, cause when you think you can do something and you believe it, you always get in life a reflection of what you believe.
1: hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you on that, man. Are you consuming any content right now? So content, again, like you said, you, you are listening to podcasts, but like podcasts, videos, books you're reading, um, oh. what kind of stuff?
0: So I don't read books, but I do audio books, right? Yep. The truth is, I'm just not a great reader. I don't know why, <laughs> but I just, I'm more of a listen kind of guy. So mm-hmm. I'm always listening to books. To get, I'll give you a couple of my favorite. Um, sure. One of them, Secrets of a Millionaire Mind. That book's really mm. good. Dale Carnegie's, um, what's it called? How to uh, Win Friends in and Influence yeah. People, yeah. There you go. And then, uh, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Everybody talks about that one. Another really good book I like is Traction, uh, which mm. is about growing a business. So, if anybody out there listening's in business, that's a great book to read about scaling your business. Um, Power versus Force by Dr. Hawkins, Letting Go by Dr. Hawkins. That's like on the spiritual side. Those are really good books that have impacted my life a lot. Um, right now, what I've been doing is just um, I'm on podcasts all the time. I just like listening to podcasts about pretty much things I'm interested in. Like um, Bigger Pockets has a podcast. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar, right? Yep. It's really- related so i'll go on there and put on a podcast listen to it for an hour in the morning or 30 minutes or however much time i got um i also listen to um, stuff about the law of attraction things that i'm interested in for the most part you know hmm.
1: i dig it i dig it a buddy of mine was actually just on bigger pockets like last week so I'm, I'm really into that show it's been something that i've been listening to for over a year now so That's i great- really like what they're doing over there Uh, one thing that I do in my business that is not scalable at all is every single day I'll go onto Instagram, I'll pull up the new followers that I have and I'll shoot a video DM to like five to 10 of them just being like, Hey, what's up? My name's Apple. I appreciate you following me. Here's what I'm all about. Let me know if there's any way that I can help you have a wonderful day. So that's something that like I do that like isn't scalable at all. Like I couldn't mass produce that. I say their name in every, in every video just so that, so that they know that like, I am not, I'm not mass producing this. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind for you in your businesses that you do that that can't be mass produced? Something that is like your personal touch. Uh, Obviously your consulting would fit under that, but like any other examples that you can think of?
0: Yeah. Right off the bat, I was going to say consulting. And um, you know, it's funny because I can see why so many of these um, quote unquote, real estate gurus produce courses because it's easier to just sell a course and not have to be overly involved, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like I might, visit the idea one day of, of producing a course. But even if I did the consulting, you know, I feel helps people more. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one thing I'm doing that I can't scale. But for me, it's a short term thing. And I I'll tell you why I'll just give you a short rundown. But yeah. I don't plan on taking consulting calls forever. What I'm actually my master plan is to train and teach a lot of people around the country to flip houses. And for me to ultimately be the buyer. And so it's already starting to happen. Like I was telling you, I just bought a property from a student in Florida, right? I, my goal is to have, you know, 10 or 15 students that I buy all the deals from and then they make money and I make money. and It's a win-win when I get to that level and I'm doing that many deals, I might not offer consulting or if I do, it might be something where it's like just a limited time. Like certain times of the year, I make myself available for that because it is a lot of work and it's like what you were saying. You can't scale it, right? Like people want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to my secretary. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean the consulting business model. It's it's great when you're getting started out, but like once you get to the level that you're at, it, I can imagine that it would be extremely difficult to just even keep up with all the demands of that. Because obviously, there's there's hundreds of people that are trying to get some of your time, and and being able to keep up with all of that's got to be wild. Yeah, so I
0: of people all the time, which every time I do, I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, money's not everything, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Chris, where can people go if they want to find out more about you? Where can they follow up with Chris the Shark? Uh, give us some, give us some usernames, some ads for me to toss down in the show notes.
0: So, I mean, uh, like I said, I have a Facebook. I'm never on it, but it's just my name, Chris <laughs> Gomez, and it's Chris with a K. But I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's Chris the Shark with a. So it's Chris K R I S, and then D A, and then Shark. So if you go to Instagram and go Chris the Shark. You can follow me. Um, The link to one of my websites is in the bio. Um, And that's pretty much the most, that's where I'm most active is Instagram. I don't have Twitter. Um, I have a Snapchat. I don't even have the app on my phone anymore. (laughs) Um, But Instagram's the spot. That's where you can connect with me instantly. Um, If you send me a DM, I try to respond to everybody. I get a lot of messages all the time, but I'm pretty good about keeping up with it as much as I can. So yeah, that's probably the best place to connect with me.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'll be sure to link up all of those along with the books you mentioned in the show notes as well for our listeners that do want to uh, find out more about those things. Uh, Chris, do you have any parting words for our listeners here today? Any last value bombs that you want to drop on them or ideas or thoughts or anything?
0: Mm, Yeah, the goal is to have enough cash that you don't need credit and enough credit that you don't need cash
1: all right words of wisdom sit on that digest it think about it chris thank you so much for your time man i really do appreciate it and i appreciate you choosing to spend it here on young smart money
0: yeah you too man thanks man i appreciate it
1: all right and we are off All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one, and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com. Check it out.